0: Welcome back to the CCF podcast, we're talking about our As You Go series. Uh, We're still in the book of Acts, uh, as we are all year, and so we're in Acts chapter 10 this week. Um, Acts chapter 10 uh, has a couple different stories in it, but really the the story that I want to focus on uh, this this week is Peter's vision. So, Peter is on this journey to this place called Joppa. Uh, and as he's on his journey, he approaches this housetop, he becomes hungry, and he wants something to eat, and then he hears this, um, this voice uh, called to him, and it says, rise Peter, kill and eat. But then Peter says, by no means, Lord, uh, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice comes, and it speaks again, and it says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and then uh, the, the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And then after this encounter, uh, starting in verse 34, um, it's labeled as the Gentiles hear the good news. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace throughout Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with the power to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by god to be the judge of the living of the dead to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name now, this is a pretty like summarized version of what the gospel is uh, a lot of times when we hear uh, the apostles preaching these sermons they preach the core of what it means that jesus was around and the importance of the acts that he did and he even mentions in here, uh, if you heard it, he commanded us to preach to the people and, and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. That is him recla- recapturing uh, and restating the Great Commission, which is what our As You Go uh, title is based off of this year because Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. And so uh, this book of Acts is as you go, uh, as the disciples are going. Here are some of the ways that they interact. Uh, and so Peter gives this recap and then the very next verse, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, I think there's a really intention. Uh, there's always an intentionality with the way that things happen. Uh, there's always things that lead into other things, and I think that it could be uh, something really easy to just say uh, that this whole um, vision that Peter has earlier in Acts chapter 10 could be the you know, something that is just separate and teachable by by its own right. You might hear this verse a lot when people are talking about. Um, the the differences between the um, the the ancient Old Testament and the New Testament eating rituals, but ultimately I, I think there's something in here that really spoke to me that that I thought we really need to talk about, and that's that second time that the voice speaks and it says what God has made clean, do not call common. Probably a little bit obvious here, but I think that this means something much deeper than uh, than is actually meant. Because God is not just talking about this animal, but he's talking about us. He's talking about the people. God has, has called us clean, uh, yet there is this nature of sin in the world. And sin is something that helps keep us farther from God. So I wanted to spend a little time talking about what exactly what exactly sin is. Sin is a very complex issue, and I want to talk to a a lot of the things uh, about that, but at at its very base, um, sin is the destruction of this shalom. Now, if you've heard that word shalom before, you've probably heard a Jewish person saying it, probably to another Jewish person, uh, because it's this phraseology that they have, it's this uh, word in Hebrew that means peace. Uh, And shalom is more than just a, a blessing, but shalom is kind of this idealistic existence, um think of uh, like the state of nirvana um at the at the top of hinduism uh shalom is is that idealistic existence and so when when they say shalom to you peace to you they're saying both like a blessing to you as well as you know the kingdom of god be with you is maybe the the comparison that something like a christian might say i think that's really beautiful but at the same time there is this uh sin nature that we have uh because sin's ultimate goal is trying to violate or vandalize shalom in this world or the kingdom of God and that's ultimately the very basic of what sin is sin in Hebrew um, is this word hatah h-h-a-t-a-h would be the transliteration for that Uh, and the direct translation the one that kind of most means sin the one that most means this hatah word is to miss the mark now you might have heard that before but I think this is a really core idea of what sin is sin's ultimate goal is to get you to miss the mark of this shalom, to miss the mark of the kingdom of God, um, to violate, to vandalize the kingdom of God and the relationship that we have with God. Now, there are six main characteristics to sin. Number one is that it's destructive. Uh, if you look back in Genesis 3, uh, where Adam and Eve are in the garden and then they commit the first sin, uh, that is obviously destructive because humans are no longer allowed in the garden of Eden. Uh, sin destroyed creation Itself. Uh, Sin destroys relationships. You know, if you think about sins like adultery, lying, greed, uh, envy, jealousy, pride, a lot of that. Like, these are a lot of the things that destroy our relationships. Uh, Most marriages end because of money problems, so your, or like, uh, handling of uh, finances, they're just not satisfied. It's greed, um, or pride, or envy, or whatever their, uh, you know, money issues stem from. Uh, But also, obviously, we know a lot of relationships that end because of adultery. So, um, sin destroys relationships. Uh, sin destroys identity. Uh, it destroys uh, the nature of who we are. Uh, and I think that's really what this is getting at, uh, um, this Acts chapter 10. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Sin ultimately puts us in slavery because sin ruins us so that we ruin ourselves and then continue to ruin others. There's this really like cyclical pattern. We kind of become agents of sin. We become proponents of sin uh, because if I do something, if I Lie or steal or cheat or something like that, then it causes this giant web that all of a sudden you might become entangled with. And if I ask you to kind of help me out, you know, in covering my lie, all of a sudden we're just becoming agents of sin. And pain causes pain, and heartbreak causes heartbreak, and sin is just a cyclical, destructive, really nasty uh, pattern. Uh, sin is also dark. Um, it uh, in the Psalm nineteen there is a. Uh, a reference that sin, that sin is hidden, um, and uh, and the psalmists deal with that. So here's Psalm 19, uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. There's that hidden sin we see. Keep your back, or uh, keep back your servants, f- also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock, my Redeemer. And so we get this. Um, this nature of, of hidden sin. Uh, sin is something that we often maybe don't necessarily know um, that it is. Uh, sin lies. Uh, the, the, when Adam and Eve come across the serpent in Genesis 3, he uses lies, uh, and then Adam and Eve buy into the lies. Um, it lies about our, the nature of our reality. It lies about the nature of ourselves, uh, the, the nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, and ultimately, I th- think what sin does best is it corrupts uh, because it, it, sin is taking something that might be good and turns it into really bad. Like think about like chocolate, right? Like we all love chocolate, uh, at least I hope you do, right? If, if not, then, you know, I don't know what to do for you, but uh, <laughs> uh, I love chocolate, uh, but if you eat a lot of chocolate, it's really not healthy for you. Um, or I love Cheetos, but if I eat a lot of Cheetos, it's really not healthy for me, and so um, in the same way, um, sin takes something that might ultimately be okay and then turns it and twists it and corrupts it very smallly to make it good. So for example, so for another example, uh, I think that sex is a very healthy thing, especially in the right context. But that's the thing is you remove it from the right context and then all of a sudden it becomes sin. It becomes bad. It becomes a distortion of something good. And sin does this to self-persevere, but it, even in a, in a different way, I think that sin does this because I think that the devil is smart enough. I think that the evil forces are smart enough to understand that if we can get people to normalize sin, uh, then we can have a much stronger stronghold uh, and a much more normalized, radicalized sin in places that we may not have even seen. Uh, sin is also generative, uh, meaning it generates more sins. Uh, in Galatians uh, 6, uh, verses 7-9, through nine, it speaks to that a little bit. Hebrews 12, 4-6 uh, kind of speaks to that a little bit as well. Um, that sin is something that um, if you start with one thing, it just moves and moves and moves and progresses and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Like if you ever think of like when you told a small lie to cover for something and then all of a sudden you have to make up a lie that helps cover that first lie. I think like uh, maybe a good example is if you're familiar with the story uh, from the, the play or the book of the movie Dear Evan Hansen, um, starts off with this really, almost seemingly innocent lie, and then it turns into something that becomes really deep, really complex, really convoluted, and really not healthy for anybody. Um, And then uh, sin is uh, also just under judgment. That's that's the other thing, is that God uh, judges sin. Uh, God judges sin. It doesn't have to be judged only once you commit it. Sin is just always, always, always judged from God. Uh, A couple other things about sin uh, before we talk about what we do about sin is that sin um, really just cannot be referenced apart from God, right? Because if I try to say that something is sin, uh, sin means it's a violation of the relationship that we have with God. And so if you reference, if you call something sin without any sort of reference point to the relationship with God, then it's not sin, It's just your opinion. It's just something is bad. And look, there are things that I think are bad that aren't necessarily sin, uh, but you can't just pick and choose whatever is sin. Sin has to be uh, referenced with God and the destructive relationship of that. That is the defining characteristic that makes sin more than just something bad. Um, sin is also any thought, uh, act, belief, or absence of any of those things that displeases God. So sin can sometimes even be an absence of acting on something or an abs- absence of thinking something or an absence of believing something. I think that that's a pretty uh, fundamental thought that if you see injustice and you don't call it out, uh, if you see um, something going on and you uh, you choose to ignore it and to let it still happen, I think that still applies as sin because uh, it's destroying the natural order of this world, the natural order which God created us to live um, and to be and to have a relationship with one another. Uh, and s- I think that this is also another thing is that sin is uh, is an entity. Um, sin is not just an act, but I do believe that sin has actual power uh, and that sin is something that um, is, is a force to be reckoned with. And uh, we really need to take uh, sin seriously. We, we all sin... Uh, could list uh, all the sins. Uh, it would take a really long time to do. Uh, it could could list a lot of sins, but I think for the most part we kind of know what our sins are. I think a lot of us struggle with them. We just kind of fail to recognize and accept and move forward with them. But there is, there is good news to this. I wanted to talk about sin for a little bit because sin is the thing that destroys us. Sin is the thing that makes us unclean, unholy, unrighteous, or whatever. But God says... To Peter in Acts chapter 10, what God has made clean, you cannot call common or you cannot call unholy or you cannot call dirty. What God has made clean, it has to be that. And so the good news is that we are not defined by our sin. That we are defined by Jesus. That we are defined by the cleanliness that comes because we have relationship with him. Our identity is not in the sins that trap us up, greed, envy lust, um, uh, pride, uh, selfishness, uh, any any of that. But our identity is always, always, always found in Jesus. But there's also another element to that because God wants us to recognize our sin and he wants us to acknowledge it before him and he wants us to strive to do better. God desires these things. I mentioned uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses four through six earlier. Let me read that to you real quick. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not re- yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses your so- you you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives This verse right here emphasizes the fact that God loves us so much, uh, but also God wants to discipline us because he loves us. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. God wants to discipline you in a loving way. Uh, He doesn't want to discipline you to make you feel guilty or to make you uh, feel shame, uh, but God wants to discipline you because he loves you so very much and he hates sin so much more and so we have this process that we that we uh we talk about sin and and what our response should be as Christians and so we talk about this word repentance, and I want to talk about it a little bit more tonight because I'm not sure that everybody knows what repentance actually means because I think repentance is this idea that we talk about with confession. But confession and repentance are two very different things. Now, first of all, a couple examples of repentance in the Bible. Um, in uh, in the Old Testament, we have the story of, of King David. Uh, King David, hopefully you heard the story of David and Bathsheba, where David um, has, uh, has affairs with Bathsheba. And she gets pregnant, and he tries to send her uh, her husband home from battle to sleep with her so he can cover up the pregnancy. And then he refuses to because Uriah the Hittite is kind of a really great guy, actually, uh, because he's like, "Why should I be at home and lay with my wife when all my soldiers are down there on the battlefield?" And really great guy. Um, but then, <clears throat> uh, but then, so David has to send him away. But when he sends him away, he's like, "Look, I got to cover this pregnancy thing." So. We just got to kill Uriah the Hittite. And so he says, go lead him in the, in the front of the battles and then pull back and make sure that Uriah dies, uh, which is murder, right? So David's committed adultery. He's committed an act of lust. He's committed um, pride. He's, he's had pride. Uh, he's committed uh, murder as well. Uh, and then this uh, this guy by the name of Nathan, who's a prophet, calls him out on that. And then after the news that uh, that Uriah the Hittite has died... Uh, and uh, David winds up losing, or Bathsheba winds up losing the baby. So David winds up also losing the baby. When when Nathan calls out David and the child dies, David has this response where rather than try to cover his stuff up, rather than uh, try to get back in the good races of the people, rather than try to lie to cover up the sin that he's committed he goes to the temple and he stays in the temple for 10 days and he comes out for a little bit and then he goes back and he worships more and then he writes this psalm in there psalm 51 which i want to read at the end of this that is truly an act of repentance another example from the old testament uh, is the book of jonah right and this one's not about jonah himself but jonah's whole mission is to go to this place called nineveh which is the capital of the assyrian empire who was like the worst people in the world back then and he has this message that he's supposed to deliver from the Lord that says, essentially, repent. You know, the end is near. God says, go there, tell them to repent, because if not, I'm going to destroy you. And Jonah shows up, and he preaches the shortest sermon ever, which is, 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Uh, but but the Ninevites repent. Uh, they turn back on their evil ways, and they look towards God, and, and God saves them for that reason. Um, God doesn't destroy Nineveh, because the Ninevites are repentant. Um, in the New Testament, we have 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, I'm looking specifically at verse 10, it says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Uh, so repentance is more than just grief, but repentance does involve grief. And then the book of Revelation, uh, the uh, the whole message of this book is to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, uh, but that that start of that phrase, uh, that start of that sermon uh, is repent, and if you look throughout the book of uh, of Acts specifically and and, uh, and most of the New Testament, pretty much any time there's a sermon to be delivered, it always starts with repent. Usually repent and be baptized. Uh, when Peter preaches at Pentecost, his first words are repent and be baptized. It, most of the time when there's a sermon preached in the New Testament, the very first part is repent. So a couple components about what this repentance actually is. Uh, I mentioned that it does produce grief. Um, it is supposed to. Because uh, repentance is recognizing and having awareness of your sins, uh, of my sins, of our sins. Uh, Repentance is being aware of the things uh, that we are doing, the aware of the ways that we are destroying our our relationship with God, and that should produce grief uh, within us. It should produce shame um, in our lives, and shame should not. Shame as a motivator is a very bad motivator, but but shame as a feeling of guilt and grief, uh, in this context, it should produce that. Um, it should also produce remorse, um, and ultimately should cause us to have a desire to change, uh, and to turn around. Sin, or uh, the idea of repentance is a literal turning around. Uh, there is, there is more than just confessing, right? Because our, 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 actions um, is that we confess but if we confess and we don't act on it then that confession really doesn't mean very much and so we have a a literal turning around uh, when we have true repentance that's the thing that separates us from confession because confession is saying your sin and confessing and saying it's wrong, repentance is doing something about it. If we think in terms of physics, there are two different types of force. There's centripetal motion, which is inward, and there's centrifugal motion, which is outward. Um, these are the basic two uh, types of motion that we can have uh, in in physics. And so, uh, the in terms of inward motion and outward motion, you know, if you're going somewhere, that's obviously outward motion. If you're uh, doing something inwardly, uh, if you're coming somewhere, then that means. Um, centrifugal motion, but it, 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 repentance involves both. It involves an inward motion of of realizing what is wrong, of realizing our sin and realizing um, the, the ways that we've destroyed our relationship with God, but it requires an outward motion as well. It doesn't require us to just think inwardly, but it requires us to, to think outwardly. So if we're trying to imagine this in a physical environment, s- sin is if we are walking down a path and then there's a fork in the road, and we choose to go down one of the sides, and we'll say this side is the sin side and the other side is the, uh, is the righteous side. That if we choose to go down that sin side, that is um, us you know, committing our sin. Uh, but a, a true repentance is us not just recognizing and continuing to walking, but to recognize and then turn around, get back to that crossroads and go on the righteous side. Uh, sin requires a literal, or repentance requires a literal turning around, a motion in the other direction. And if, if you're doing repentance right, you should be growing. Um, we don't simply confess and then come back the next week to confess the same thing, but we should be con- you know, repenting uh, so that way we can deal with our sin. So I hope that gives you a little bit of idea about what repentance actually is and why repentance is different than confession. Uh, but how confession is still a part of repentance. But really, um, there's a couple of things that always keep us away from acting in repentance. Number one, it's awkward, right? It's kind of awkward for me to sit here and talk about your sins because sins are often awkward because we have shame about them, we have uh, guilt about them, we have fear about what I might think of you if you confess. If if you confess to me, um, so it is awkward um, to acknowledge. Um, it is a very prideful thing for us to just look at and say hey, uh, no, I don't struggle with that, um, I or or I might struggle with that, but no more than the next person, or I might struggle with that, but probably not to a degree that it actually harms God or something. It's very prideful of us to think that way, and pride itself is a sin, so we're really just double sinning, you know, sin being generative and sin being uh, something that causes other sin, you know, like we talked about at the beginning. Another thing is, it's just really easy to take, to pass blame to uh, to to take ownership of our sin. It's a lot easier for us to simply look at, well, I have financial problems because I have, you know, a ton of student loan debt, and I have, or, or like I'm greedy because I have a ton of student loan debt, and I have, uh, you know, like credit card payments or whatever. yada, yada yada. It's easy for us to pass the blame to something else. It's easy for us to say like. Yeah, well, you know, my dad raised me this way, and so it can't be wrong, or, or really the blame is on him. Look, I'm not saying that the blame isn't on him, but at some point you have to take responsibility for your own actions as well. The root of your problem might be by some sort of external force, but at the same time, you're the one with the problem, and you're the one that needs to take ownership of that. And another thing is we just don't know how. Right? But I hope that this repentance was a great uh, introduction for you to understand how we should be reconciling with God in relationship to our sin. Um, so a couple practical things I want to leave you with. Number one is that you got to be honest with yourself. Uh, we all sin. Um, we do. And, uh, and I do. Uh, and we as a community do as well. Um, There's so much sin uh, among Christians, among non-Christians, uh, among every people group. Sin exists and we have to be honest about it we have to acknowledge it Uh, the other thing about sin is we can't let our view of sin um, distort our view of God we have to keep a high view of God and a low view of sin because even however much you sin um, God still calls you clean what God has called clean you cannot call common what God has called righteous you cannot call unholy Uh, another thing that, uh, that might help is you got to find somebody who loves you enough to tell you what's up. Uh, You really got to find somebody, um, that can call you out on your crap because sin sometimes is hidden. We don't see it. Um, we need accountability from others. Uh, we need people to say, uh, Hey, I noticed you've been doing this and Hey, you really got to cut that out. Uh, find somebody who loves you enough to tell you that not somebody who can be judgmental enough, but somebody who loves you enough to tell you what's up. Uh, another thing is we gotta acknowledge it. Look, if we're caught with it, you gotta deal with it. You got you you can't run away. Um, it, it sin is uh, is serious uh, and it is um, damaging to our relationship with God. So we got to deal with it, and that's that last part. Is just you gotta deal with it. You can't run away. You got to deal with it. Um, and one of the ways uh, that we deal with this is we repent. Um, and I hope that uh, that you get a little bit of idea. We can we can repent by praying. Uh, we can repent. Repent by um, confessing silently to God. We can rep- repent by confessing publicly to God. Uh, we can confess by, um, or repent by starting accountability groups among um, peers, somebody that you know is going to hold you accountable. And we can repent in lots of different ways. I want to give you an example of repentance. I mentioned the story of David, kind of gave you the setup. And he writes this psalm, uh, Psalm 51, when um, when he is caught uh, by Nathan the prophet after he had uh, committed the affair with Bathsheba and Um, sent Uriah the Hittite to his death. Uh, So I just want to read this. And this is how I want to end this. Um, This is a psalm. Um, I I want to read it as a prayer. Uh, And when I'm done with this, um, that'll be it. The podcast will be over. I just want to read this to you. Um, You can use this psalm as a repentance prayer for you. But uh, this is titled, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, Here we go. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. I love this psalm because it shows David's recognition of his sin and it shows him having a repentant heart and it shows him um, choosing to take knowledge of his actions and true repentance with turning around where he says, because of my sin and because of my brokenness, I'm going to teach transgressors your way. I'm going to do better. Um, I love this psalm. I really do. And hopefully it's obvious by now, but... um, Jesus calls us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the Holy Spirit, teaching to absorb all His commands and knows that, he is, uh, knows that he is with us until the end of the age. So as we're going, as Jesus commands us to go, the word that we're going to use today is repent. So as you go, repent.